Will you turn to Mark chapter 3, please? We should have put something, we should have put something in between saying goodbye to them and having to preach now that I think about it. But anyway, Mark chapter 3. We are, we are carrying on in this wonderful series on the gospel of Mark. And we are dealing with some wonderful things this morning. Uh, some great stuff. If you've ever wondered what the unforgivable sin is, uh, Lord willing, by the time you leave this morning, you'll know, uh, and whether you're committing it or not, uh, and you'll be able to leave either right with the Lord or rejoicing in the fact that you're already right with Him. Does that make sense? Everyone's like terrified. They're like, oh my gosh, like, I, I remember when I was a young Christian, like working with you for Christ, uh, is an immature bunch of us just roaming around trying to figure out how to walk with God and stuff and found these, this verse and these truths about the unforgivable sin and no one to teach us and not, no understanding of what it was and you were just ter- lived, lived terrified that like, you know, maybe it was that one, maybe, or maybe it was that one, you know, maybe it was that one. And it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, so, uh, thankfully uh, the word was made clear to us and I can hopefully share that with you this morning, but uh, let me read our passage this morning, and then we'll dive into what uh, God is teaching us this morning. Mark chapter 3 from verse 20. We'll, start, we'll pick it up uh, where Dave ended off last week in verse 20, and then read through to verse 30. Jesus entered a house, and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come come down from Jerusalem, said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions, unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Let's pray together as we look at God's word. Father, we, we love the gift that your word is to us. Uh, and again, as we, as we come to look at it and to listen to it, we ask, we, we plead with you for the illuminating, revealing work of the Holy Spirit to teach us to open up our eyes and our minds and our hearts to hear your voice and to receive your word, that you would, you would teach us, you would quicken us, you would make us uh, willing learners and recipients of grace this morning through your word. I pray that as I speak, we would hear your voice and that you would love us, encourage us, challenge us and strengthen us through uh, the life-giving word empowered by the Spirit this morning. We ask for that. We so desperately long for that and need it. And we look to you this morning again in Jesus' name. Amen. 
There's a couple of uh, things that I want us to see here. The first um, is the power of Jesus over Satan. So if you're a note taker, that's point number one, is the power of Jesus over uh, Satan. The context of what's happening here uh, in the ministry of Jesus, we've journeyed a little bit already in, in Mark. This, um, this encounter is repeated in, in Matthew, I think Matthew chapter 12. Jesus' ministry is sort of gaining momentum. Um, he's traveling around, he's healing, um, he's performing miracles. Um, people are witnessing things they've never seen before. And Jesus' fame, as it were, is growing, it's spreading, and he's attracted the attention of the Pharisees and the re religious leaders. So now they've come down from Jerusalem, and they do this all the way through Mark. You see this, they're like a fact-finding mission. They're always trying to trap Jesus. They're always trying to... Um, ask him questions to trip him up, or they're trying to investigate what's going on. And really, what's happening here is that all of these healings and these miracles are legit. You know, it's not like these, these fake things you see on TV every now and then. I mean, maybe you don't watch that kind of stuff, like those healing crusades kind of thing, and you're never really sure, was that person really needing those crutches or that wheelchair? And like, now they seem to be walking, but like three weeks later... Like, did it, did it last? Was it a temporary thing? Was it a psychosomatic thing? What was going on kind of thing? This person says they were blind, now they can see. Like, these are all legit things. I can imagine that in, in these crowds, as Jesus taught, were people who had been healed. You know, blind people who can now see Jesus. Lame people who are now walking around following Jesus. Lepers who've been cleansed who are now part of the, the crowd. These are like legit, like verified, there they are. In the mix, disciples, followers of Jesus, they're loving him and learning from him. And the Pharisees are having to figure out, like, what is going on here? Because they can't deny that something genuine is happening. So now they need an explanation uh, for what's going on. Uh, you know, you need, you need to be able to explain, like, supernatural things. And so this is the explanation they come up with. You see there that it's, Satan is doing this. You see right at the end of verse 30, it says they, that this is what they're accused of, ultimately, by Jesus of, of saying that Jesus himself has an unclean spirit. So they say, like, they can't figure it out, and they don't want to acknowledge. There's a, there's a level of spiritual blindness here that is almost terrifying to see. It is terrifying to see. That they witness the powerful move of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of Jesus, and they ascribe the power of that to Satan himself. They say, Jesus... We can see all these legit things that you're doing. There's definitely power here. There's something going on, and we know how you're doing it. It's, it's, it's through Satan, through the, the prince of demons, that you are empowered. And so Jesus, again, like he does, he teaches them a parable. He it says he uses a parable to explain. This is a bit of a different parable because it's not, it's not like some of his other parables. He basically just calls them out. He says, listen here, like your logic is ridiculous. How on earth can Satan drive out Satan? How can a house divided against itself stand? Your argument is useless. It makes no logical sense. Engage your brains. Uh, how is this possible? I'm not empowered by Satan. Why would Satan want to kick out Satan? Like You're hunting for an answer, but where you've landed is, is useless. And then he proceeds um, to explain to them that he has bound up the strong man. He says, how do you, you can't just waltz into somebody's house and take their stuff. If you want to take their stuff, you've got to tie up the strong man and then you're free to what? 
plunder his possessions. This is the parable that Jesus is teaching them. And now, can you imagine them standing there listening, thinking, what on earth are you talking about? Kind of thing, because spiritual truth just went sailing over uh, the Pharisees' heads most of the time. But as we listen to it today, there's a lot of help uh, for us in this. Jesus clarifies, he says, if you want to take the strong man's things, you've got to tie him up. You've got to bind him. Now, I want to spend a bit of time talking about this because depending on your Christian uh, background or exposure, you would have heard this applied in different ways. I want, us to, I want us to look at quickly, how did Jesus bind up Satan? Because he, th- this is the connection, okay? So Satan is the strong man and Jesus is the one binding him up. And his possessions that are being plundered are people okay? in, in, this, in this parable. These are the things. So how is Jesus the one who binds up Satan? Well, I think at that time that Jesus is alive on earth, it's, uh, he hasn't got to the cross yet, and he's already saying that he's bound Satan. So it, it, we'll get to the cross in a second, but uh, I think where he, where he binds Satan in his earthly ministry is through the, the temptation in the wilderness. Satan throws the kitchen sink, as it were, at Jesus, and this, Jesus doesn't give in. Jesus doesn't fall into temptation. He resists Satan with what? The, the power of the word. In the power of the spirit. Remember, he, he is now empowered by the spirit. That's the first thing. He's baptized, filled with the spirit, led by the spirit into the wilderness. And then Satan comes to uh, tempt him and attack him. And he resists Satan's temptation through the word in the power of the spirit. Now, those are important things. Through the word, in the power of the spirit, Jesus stands up against the very best that Satan has to throw at him and overcomes him in his temptation. He doesn't give in. And all the way through his life, you see, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, it says again and again, in the power of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, all of Jesus' life and ministry is um, empowered along by the Holy Spirit. And his life is one long obedience to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how he ties him up. He's obedient in the power of the Spirit. And he uses the power of the Word in reliance, like I said, on the Holy Spirit's power. And then ultimately, in his death and resurrection, he overcomes, he overcomes uh, Satan. He, not just, he doesn't just bind him, but he defeats him. So it's important for us now, this side of the cross, to look back and say, Satan is not just bound, but he's defeated. We read Paul... Um, Speaking to the Colossians, where he says in Colossians 2 verse 15, uh, speaking of Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. This is what the Father has done through Jesus. He has uh, put them to open shame. Disarmed them. He's taken away their weapons. He's rendered them almost useless. Almost useless disgraced them publicly on the cross. They thought they were winning. And yet there's this massive reversal in the cross that where Satan thinks he's winning, he's actually, he's actually being put to public shame by the grace and the mercy of God substituting his son for us. And so this side of the cross, Satan is not only bound by Jesus, but he is overcome by him. Why is this, why is this really important? Because if Jesus has bound Satan and overcome him, this is important. This is important. That, who's the one doing the binding here? Jesus. He is the one who binds the strong man. 
You know, we don't have any strength to go and binding up Satan and his demons. Okay? Thank God that Jesus has authority and power to bind up Satan and render him ineffective. So that he can then what? Take his possessions. The reason you belong to God, if you're a Christian, the reason you belong to God is because Jesus bound up Satan so he could take what belongs to him. And you belong to God now because Jesus bound him. He's tied him up. And the reason, the, the, the joy for us is that we get to experience freedom and life and grace and victory because Jesus overcome Satan. And it wasn't a fair competition. It was never a fair competition. It was like this cosmic arm wrestle that happened. It was an unfair competition. Satan didn't stand a chance. Many of you are too young to remember Carmen, the Christian musician Carmen. He passed away, I think, last year. Uh, he's quite old now. Uh, but when I grew up, as a young kid, I remember, even you know, before I became, I wasn't a Christian, but in the youth group, I, uh, one guy from the school took me to in primary school. That was the thing. Carmen was the oak. And he had this thing called the champion. Now, some of you are going to have to go and Google this, because it's still, I think, somewhere on the internet. Uh, the champion. And it was this long, dramatic kind of thing of like Jesus and Satan in a boxing ring. And they were going for it kind of thing. And like Jesus gets clobbered by Satan and he's like, he's out for the count kind of thing. And he's like, he's like the boxing coach is like traumatized kind of thing. And it, looks, it honestly looks like Jesus is going to go down, you know. If you don't know how the story ends, you're thinking, oh, and Satan thinks he's one kind of thing. And then it comes back and it's like, he is the champion. And Satan, and Satan ends up getting blitzed by Jesus kind of thing. And, like, and for a while, I, that was my picture of like, what's going on like in the heavenlies? Like Jesus and Satan are slugging it out. You know? But that's a lot of nonsense. I mean, with respect to common, I understand what he was trying to do, but it's not, it's not biblical. It's, it's utter nonsense, really. It's not like they had boxing gloves on and like, swat, swat, I hit you, you hit me, I hit you. It's touch and go, like what's going to happen? More accurate is a prophecy in Genesis that says, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. That's more what it's like. It's just like a, it's just going to stand and you just crush you. There's no like, <laughs> how's this going to pan out? Arm oh, wrestle. Oh, 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 go, Jesus, we're rooting for you. Please overcome. Jesus holds all authority and power. And he can snuff Satan out like this. It's not this cosmic battle that Carmen wanted us to understand in the boxing ring. And we can take massive encouragement from that, that we are under the one who has all authority and all power. This is a wonderful truth for those who are believers in Jesus, that we have nothing to fear, because we follow the triumphant one who holds all the power and authority. We don't have to run around in fear. Satan, one of his demons, is going to sneak up and get you, and Jesus is busy with someone in the Middle East or something. He took his eyes off you. We live under the authority and the power and the protection of Jesus, who has crushed Satan. And has all of that authority in his love over us. I do think that the rest of the Bible teaches that we as believers get to apply some of this authority of Jesus. You see uh, again and again, you see it in James, where we're told to resist the devil and he will flee from us. Resist. There's, there's not enough resisting amongst believers. Resisting of the devil. We're... we're we're deluded into the thinking that he doesn't do anything anymore. In, uh, in Peter, 1 Peter 5, it says that, um, he warns us. He says, the devil's prowling around like a lion looking for those to devour. That's, that's now. That's not back then. 
It's happening now. He's prowling around like a lion looking for Have you ever seen a hungry lion? I was riding past the zoo. One of my riding routes is past the zoo. It's not a lion, but it's the same thing. And I don't think they had fed the cheetahs. On the one fence, in the, the other side of Jan Smuts, is the cheetah enclosure. And I rode past on my bike. I was feeling a bit frisky, so I was a bit faster than normal. And I don't think they had fed the cheetahs. This cheetah lined me up and followed me along the fence there. I mean, the fence is a little bit back there, but I was very glad for a couple of fences between me and the cheetahs. This thing just locked eyes on me and was just like thinking that, I'm um, at breakfast. I was like, what are you doing? Feed these things. You know, we pay taxes. Feed the cheetahs. But if you've ever seen an animal, a white animal, like lock, lock eyes on you and want to take you out. Um, it happened to our kids at the, some zoo, Laurie Park near Pretoria. Um, with Jono was walking along and this lion came and just sussed them out, walked along. This, they got this glass thing and follow you there. I promise you there's no glass. Jono would have been two, two bites. I could have been history, you know. That's what's happening in a spiritual sense, that Satan is prowling around looking to take us out. And our job, according to the Scriptures, is to resist. To resist his attempts to steal, kill, and destroy. And many of us as believers are just complacent and deluded into thinking it's nothing. The, the, the encouragement in Paul in Ephesians 6 to put on armor and to stand firm. Why, would you, why is there an encouragement to put on armor if you're not in a battle, in a war? You're in a war. You're in a spiritual war. Whether or not you're aware of it, the encouragement is to put on the armor and to stand. To stand firm against all the attack. In Luke 10, when Jesus sends out the disciples, they come back and they say what? what they're rejoicing that the demons submit to them in Jesus' name. So there's an aspect to which, as a believer, we have authority in Jesus' name for the demons to submit to us. Not in your authority, in his authority. They come back rejoicing. Jesus rebukes them. He says, look, don't get too excited about that. Get more excited that your names are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. But it's true. It doesn't, doesn't negate the authority that they have in Jesus' name for demons to submit to them. And you see in Acts 16, in Paul in, 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 um, Paul's in Philippi and he's one of his missionary journeys, and he rebukes the slave girl who is causing havoc and commands the demon in her to leave. And immediately the demon goes. I'm not, we probably need a different sermon on this, you know, spiritual warfare, demonology 101. I want to give you some examples that the, the, these are realities. These are spiritual realities that we live with now. And they happen here in the parks area that don't only happen in deep, dark Africa and India and wherever else. They happen here. Most of us are blind to them. And that's the most dangerous thing. To think that the enemy is not out to try and subvert your walk with God and to steal your joy and to render you useless and ineffective in the kingdom of God. And so the encouragement for us is to stand. And when we encounter uh, the forces, demons, the forces that oppose God, we have authority to command to leave and to bind them in that sense and to render their effect useless in people's lives and to command them out of people. Some of you are terrified now. Can you imagine you're thinking, I hope that never, ever happens to me. I'm very, if I find a demon anywhere, Doug, I'm going to phone you and you can phone your friends and you guys can come around and deal with it kind of thing. And we have had multiple times of doing that. I can tell you it's not a lot of fun. But that's part of our, our job as believers as garden variety, everyday Christians, is to where we see the demonic forces enslaving people, 
is to exercise the authority of the name of Jesus in which we stand to see people liberated and set free. Jesus is more powerful than Satan. That's the first thing we see here. The second thing is amazing. Have a look at verse 28 with me. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. Just read that again. Truly I tell you. Whenever Jesus says, Truly I tell you, that is where I'm saying, Focus, pay attention. I'm about to say something important. In the old versions, it used to say, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, kind of vibe. Like, truly I'm, pay attention, listen to me, listen to this. People will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. Before we move on to talk about what the unforgivable sin is, camp on this. Point number two is the wonder of forgiven sin. The wonder of forgiven sin. Do a quick audit in your own mind of where you run out of grace for people. Who is in the realm of the unforgiven? We all have them. Maybe it's um, maybe for you it's child molesters. And if you, if you if you molest the child, if you if you rape an infant, no ways. You now are rendered in the realm of the unforgiven. There's no way God could ever rescue you out and forgive that sin. No, no, no. Maybe it's uh, human traffickers. I don't know. Where is it? Who, who is it? Because we, we all have that line, that ceiling that we hit where we feel like God's grace could never reach that person. And if it did, they would not deserve any forgiveness. We sin in different ways. Our sins are lighter, more respectable, less damaging to us and others. Easy for God to forgive those things. Way harder for God to forgive those other things. Out of the mouth of Jesus, it says, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. People who say the most heinous things about Jesus Christ, if they turn in repentance and faith to Jesus, will be forgiven their sin and their blasphemy. It's amazing. There, there is no message like this in the world. There is no religion or worldview or faith that has this message. That whatever blasphemy you utter, whatever sin you commit, if you, if you turn in repentance and faith and look to Jesus, you'll be forgiven. And it jars with us. It doesn't sit nicely with us self-righteous people. We're like, no, no God, you've got to do that. Then you've got to make them pay, you know. And thankfully, in the mercy of God, there are, there are trophy after trophy of his redeeming grace all around the world. People rescued from absolute darkness whose lives have been turned around. You know, some of you are thinking, I wasn't that dark as a seven-year-old you know, when I came to Christ. You, know, but you were still lost in sin. Some of you were more lost and doing the most heinous things. And your heart was full of blasphemy. You uttered even blasphemous things against the name of Jesus Christ. And out of Jesus' mouth, here's the thing. You are forgiven of your sin as you look to him. It's the most amazing, amazing, scandalous news. You read all the way through scripture. You, you see the people God has forgiven. Murderers, adulterers, blasphemers. Those who have denied Jesus when he needed them the most. 
Don't you ever feel bad if you've ever, like someone's asked you if you're a Christian or asked you to explain the gospel and you've chickened out? You've basically failed Jesus. As a pastor, one of the things that I see and I know in my own heart and see with other people is the one thing that keeps people from growing is living in the land of uh, fear, shame, and regret. It's all the things that you have done that you're embarrassed about or you just you mourn over, your own sin, the times you failed Jesus. And, and, and the devil reminds you of all of those things often and then just sucks your joy out of following Jesus. Hey, remind you, this is actually who you are. KG, don't get too excited here in the worship team. This is actually who you are. Remember all of these things that you did last week and a few years ago? That's who you are. And that's Satan's job is just to accuse us day and night and suck out our joy and make us live in shame and fear and guilt. And some of you have done heinous things. Some of you have done rebellious things. Willfully, you've sinned against God and other people. And Satan delights in nothing more than to remind you of those things and throw them in your face. And when he does, what do you do? Crumple in a heap is what happens to most Christians. Live in the land of shame. If anyone else knew, if anyone else knew that, they would kick me out of the church, they wouldn't let me do this, they, wouldn't, they would know the real me. And I would be rendered ineffective. If they really knew what was going on in my heart, if they knew what I did behind closed doors, if they knew. Revelation 12 verse 10, it says, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been thrown down. That's still coming, but that's, his, that's what he's doing now. Day and night, the accuser of our brothers and sisters now, who accuses them before God day and night. There's no respite in the accusations that come from Satan against you. And so that's why you need to hear Jesus' words today. Every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven. That's just how Jesus works. And it's amazing. That is the gospel of grace. That those who turn to him in repentance and faith can be forgiven. And then as you look back over your repertoire, your CV of sin, you can look at it through the eyes of God's redeeming grace. And say, thank you God that you don't treat me as my sins deserve. I couldn't stand in your presence. I could never come to you. I could never be yours if it was up to me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've thought. Look at what I've said. But you have called me to yourself. And you have forgiven my sin. That should fuel praise and worship in you like nothing else. That you have been forgiven of your sin. The last thing we see here is the severity of unforgiven sin. Verse 29 says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. I already said that Jesus conducted all of his ministry in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. If you're making notes, Matthew 12, verse 28, Jesus says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus himself says, I'm driving out the demons by the Spirit of God. He's acknowledging it's, it's, not, it's nothing else. It's a Spirit-empowered ministry that he has. The healings, the 
teaching everything, the driving out of demons, all born along and carried and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what were the Pharisees guilty of? The Pharisees were guilty of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, attributing to Satan the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means for the Pharisees back then, attributing to Satan the work of the Holy Spirit. They see the exorcisms, they see the healings, I say they see all the miracles, and who do they give the credit to? Not the Holy Spirit who's empowering the ministry of Jesus. They give it to Satan. They say, this is, this is Satan's work that we see happening here. That's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's these days, these days we are not guilty of the same thing in exactly the same ways because you're not Pharisees sitting looking at the visible ministry and the life of Jesus Christ and attributing the power of that to Satan. But I think I'll put it this way. It's refusing to acknowledge and to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. This is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Refusing to acknowledge and to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? You see again in John 15, Jesus teaching the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. To teach, to teach us and lead us into truth. If that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to resist that renders you an unbeliever. Firm in unbelief. And it's not, so the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not a one-sort of thing. Some people think I've committed the, I've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. I've committed the unforgivable sin. You, you, you can't do it. It's not a one-off thing that happens. I wrote this down because it's a helpful summary for me. I didn't put it on the screen. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to refuse to acknowledge the work of the Spirit in the person and ministry of Jesus repeatedly and over a lifetime, rendering a person unforgiven through unrepentance. The message of Jesus is what? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's what, that's what Jesus is, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing, is reminding you of the message of Jesus. If you resist that message, repent and believe. You're resisting the work of the Holy Spirit calling you to that. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. If you don't repent and believe, you then are rendered guilty of eternal sin. You have blasphemed. You have resisted the work of the Holy Spirit and you are left in your sin, unreconciled to God. It's been said a lot that if you're worried that you've committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. Because there's a tenderness in you. There's a, there's a, there's a concern around conviction. The, the con conviction of the Holy Spirit is still working in you. you. You want to not sin. You want to be right with God. There's that desire you haven't committed the unforgivable sin because the, you're responding to the convicting, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's what it means to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is the refusal of His work. And it's an over a lifetime thing. And I would say this, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, as believers, it's different for us. But the warnings in, in Scripture are still very, very clear. Today, don't harden your heart against the work of the Spirit. We're going to deal with this in a few weeks' time when we talk about the parable of the sower and the seeds and the seed that falls in different kinds of soil. It's confusing. I'm, gonna, I'm giving you a trailer now, you know, like the movies, like for a few weeks coming down the pipeline. That is a tricky parable because 
some of the shoots pop up a bit, and there seems to be life there, but they get choked out. And so it can appear that sometimes there's signs of spiritual life, but things get snatched away. And I think sometimes it's a bit like this. There's many people that you know, maybe, who you thought were Christians, and now they're not. Whether they just wandered away from God, they just like they turned their back on him. Maybe they openly blasphemed against him. They're like, I'm done with this. This is a load of rubbish. God is like a unicorn, whatever. Believe it if you want, I'm done. Well, they just drifted away. What happened? What happened? Well, we, go, we don't know what happened every time. But I have known a lot of people who have been in and around church and who have drifted away. And I can tell you that this is a common pattern you see in many people's lives. The Holy Spirit's work is to convict convict to draw us back to God when we wander and we stray. And it keeps a tender-heartedness in the life of a believer. When we sin against God, we feel that. And we respond in repentance and faith and live an empowered life. If you shut that down, you shut down the convicting work of the Spirit again and again and again and again and again. Every time the Holy Spirit is coming after you, convicting you, you shut it down. Instead of responding in repentance and faith, you Minimize your own sins. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Eventually, what you end up with, what the scriptures talk about, is a seared conscience and a hardened heart, unable then to repent. Terrifying. But it's not, I'm not trying to scare you that, oh, you know, I felt convicted this morning and I didn't respond. It's like, no, it's, 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 it's an accumulated thing over weeks and months and years. Lifetimes with people just end up unable and unwilling to repent. It's almost, it's almost like God hands you over to your hardness of heart and says, fine, have your way. Have your way. And that's why the encouragements in the scriptures are when you feel the convicting work of the Spirit, respond to Him. In repentance and faith and with joy at what God is doing. Yeah, it's not always pleasant, but man, that's where the life is. That's where the life is. Ask any married couple who are having an argument and who feel like they're like butting heads a bit, what's better? Have it out and then make up and walk together in joy or just keep the slow, silent war going? It's hard to reconcile. It's hard to have those hard conversations. It's hard to work through those things. But on the other side of that, there's forgiveness and joy and intimacy and stuff again. You've got to go through something. You've got to go through the repenting, through the convicting, through the acknowledging, the confessing, the grief sometimes over our own sin. You've got to go through that to live in the land of joy-filled repentance. And I want to encourage you today that if God is convicting you in any area of your life, whether you're a believer or if you're an unbeliever, if you haven't yet placed full faith in Jesus and you feel God poking his Fingers into your own heart, pressing into your life. Today is your day to respond. Not tomorrow, today is your day. That's what the Bible says. Today, while it's still called today, now is your chance. Because the Holy Spirit is calling you, He's working. Respond to Him today. Run, run, run to Him. Because what does verse 28 say? Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. You're not going there to negotiate with God you're going there to receive full forgiveness in the gospel of grace. There is nothing, nothing, nothing like that, my friends. Let's pray together.
Father, we confess that many, many times more than we can count, we have, we have resisted the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've minimized our own sin. We've thought it's not a big deal. We've relied on a, a cheapened form of grace. And we want to, before you, acknowledge and confess those things. And thank you, Father, that you are patient with us. You are the one who continues to come to us, to draw us back to yourself. Grace upon grace upon grace. And even this morning, you're drawing us back to yourself. You are you're convicting us afresh in new ways. I thank you for your work amongst us this morning, Holy Spirit. And as you convict, give us grace to turn back to you. Back to you, Jesus, the one who said that you would forgive all of our sin and all of our blasphemy. Thank you for this life-giving message of the gospel that we have in you, Jesus. That It's just amazing. It makes our hearts sing that you would lavish us, lavish us with such kindness and mercy. And so we come to you again. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, those who follow you as you're convicting them of things this morning, as they turn back to you, fill them with joy now, even now in your presence as they turn. And give them life in your name again and again. And for those who are hearing this message or at home who've never placed their faith in you, they've felt the, the calling of your spirit. They felt conviction from the Holy Spirit, but they've never responded. They've never run to you, never turned from sin to trust in you. I pray you'd give them grace to do that even now, even now, that they would turn and they would receive from you life and joy and help and the fullness of the Holy Spirit as they look to you for everything that they need. Thank you, Jesus, that you have victory and authority over Satan and his demons. We have nothing to fear because we are in you and we are under you. We love you for that. There's no one like you. There's no one like you, Jesus, and we worship you this morning, King of glory. In Jesus' name, amen.